الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد للہ رب العالمین والحمد للہ الذي جعلنا من المتمسکین بولایت امیر المؤمنین ولیمت المعصومین علیہم السلام والحمد للہ الذي هدانا لہذا وما کنا لنہتدی لولان هدان اللہ ثم الصلاة والسلام على اشرف الانبیاء والمرسلین خاتم النبیین شفیع المذنبین حبیب الہ العالمین بالقاسم المصطفی محمد اللہم صلی علی محمد و آل محمد و علی آل بیته الطیبین الطاہرین المعصومین و لعنت اللہ علی اعدائهم اجمعین من یومی عداوتهم الى یوم الدین اما بعد فقد قال اللہ عز و جل فی کتابه الحکیم وهو اصدق القائلین بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم یا ایوہ الذین آمنوا صبروا وصابروا ورابطوا واتقوا اللہ لعلکم تفلحون آمنا باللہ صدق اللہ العلی العظیم صلوات اللہم صلی علیم السلام علیکم جمعیا ورحمت اللہ وبرکاتہ I begin in the name of Allah, the most kind, the most merciful. It's due to that kindness and mercy that we get these opportunities where we gather in remembrance and glorification of Him, Tabarak wa Ta'ala. We send our living Imam into each and every one of you, Eid Mubarak, um, on this day in which we mark as the Eid al-Zahra, or the celebration or the festivities of Sayyidah Zahra, alayha afdalu salatu wa salam. Allahumma salli ala. Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Naturally, as we look forward, it's important that we look back as well um, and uh, appreciate and be grateful for the opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave each and every one of us to live through the period of Aza um, and to participate in the grief and the buka for Aba Abdullah alayhi salam and the shuhada and the usara. Um, and we pray. Honestly, we pray that um, our aza, our azadari, our lamentations are accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and that we get an opportunity next year to once again relive it with our imam, inshaAllah. And you know, most importantly, like I think when we look back, we got to ask ourselves, like, do we gain anything, right? Like, that's the benchmark of success. Um... You know, whenever there are like leadership programs, and we love to throw out leadership programs, and we love to be part of all of these organizations that talk about how to better yourself, and you know, we all take these courses in business, and our mosques do it, and our organizations do it, and we participate in it. And you know, when you leave, everyone says like, oh, I feel so recharged, right? That's what they always say. If you've ever participated, I've done many of these, you know? And you say, I know I, I leave inspired. And then you look at that person two months later, it's like, are you implying, are you practicing anything? 
And they're like, no, not really, right? It was just a waste of 350 bucks that I had to pay. Uh, that's how I look at these benchmarks when we come with, with, with our religion, you know what I mean? That, alhamdulillah, I feel blessed to, to have lived through the period of Azza. I honestly do. As, as you know, the people who attend here know that uh, I hype this up a lot. And hype may not be the right word, but I love the period of Azza very much because I... I I find it the most beneficial if we use it correctly. Um, but then, you know, like, ninth of Rabiul Awal comes by, and if I'm still the same guy that I was at first of Muharram, man, what, what a waste, huh? Honestly, I'm being real with you. What a waste if, if I'm the same guy. If, if I didn't learn anything from Imam Hussein Hussain, if I didn't learn anything from the sacrifice of Sayyidah Zainab and the same guy, um, then I got some explaining to do, you know, um, to myself, to my soul. And this is something that I want us to really focus on today, right? Um, and in ourselves, I want us to focus on this. Um, because, you know, as the Shia, as Shia, um, we are to be connected to the Ahlul Bayt, alayhim salam right? Alayhim salam We have to be connected to them intellectually, we have to be connected to them um, spiritually. We have to be connected to them emotionally. Um, and in every um, perspective and way, um, I ride, you know, as, as, as someone really interesting put it, you know, we, we, we surf the wave that they create. Yeah? So they, they're the ones who are the wave makers. We're not the wave makers. They decide when the waves go up and they decide when the waves come down. We have to surf those waves. We can't go against the waves. We can't decide to skip this wave. But whenever the Ahlul Bayt salam rise, we rise with them. And whenever they, they come down, we come down with them. And that's what makes a Shia a Shia, right? That I live that life. And you know, one of my favorite traditions that I quote every year on this day um, from Amirul Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib alayhi salam. Allah. Where he says, Inna Allaha tabaraka wa ta'ala ittala'a ila al-ard fa'akhtarana wa akhtarlana shi'atan yansurunana. He says that Allah looked over His creation and He selected us. Yeah, selected us meaning the Ahlul Bayt. He said He specifically selected us and He selected for us Shia followers. People who will follow. In other words, what? When the wave goes up, we go up. When it goes down, we go down. Whatever they do, we do. Whatever they don't do, we don't do. That is the expectation. He says, That He selected us. And these Shia will help us, the Imam says. Right? It's the job of the Shia to help us. And then what makes a Shia really amazing? What makes the Shia truly amazing is that they are happy when we are happy. And they are sad when we are sad. Yeah? That's what makes it um, a true follower. Right? Like think about it. You know what I mean? Like 9th of Rabiul Awal we're told Ahlul Bayt were happy so we're happy. At the drop of a hat we're happy. A transition that I don't think I've worn these color clothes in two months and ten days. Honestly, I haven't. 
you know. But just because they were happy, so I changed my wardrobe for them. And we all changed our wardrobe for them. We changed the curtains in here for them. This is a mark of what a Shia should do, you know. But it's important, you know, that we don't just look at the material aspect of it and say, well, I'm putting on clothes for them. I'm putting on... We have to change our souls for them. Yeah? And this is something that I hope that all of us participate in um, and reflect about. And inshallah, I'm confident. I'm confident that we all learn something about ourselves, inshallah, in this period of azad that we will apply into our lives. Sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Ma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. So as far as the customary discussion on this night before we go on to our topic. I know it's a day of happiness, um, but I have something to talk about. Uh, so I let the poets bring out the, the joy and happiness, inshallah, um, and the muki when he does the announcements, inshallah, as well. A lot of pressure on you, you know. Um, but today it is the day, we're told it's a day of happiness, right? A day that the Ahlul Bayt, alayhim salam were happy. Now, what are the reasons why they were happy? Um, there are some reasons we're not even going to discuss, right? Because they're untrue, right? Um, they were celebrated until today in certain basements they're probably celebrated, you know? Um, in certain countries they're probably celebrated. Um, but if you look at the Ilmul Hadith, we find that, that those reasons are not authentic, right? We just wanted a day to celebrate that. And so people celebrated that. Um, but there are two reasons that stand out, basically, right? Um, and the one is merely an, an extrapolation of, of another event. Um, but one of the reasons why it is possible that we celebrate this day is that we are told that this is the day in which the khabar, or the news of the death of Ubaidullah bin Ziyad and Umar ibn Sa'ad la'inatullahi alayhima reached Imam al-Sajjad alayhi afdalu salatu wa salam. Allah salli ala Ahmad wa Ali Muhammad. Now, whether it was the day that they died or the day the khabar reached them, it is not exactly clear, right? Um, but we do have traditions that tell us this, right? That this is the reason why we celebrate on this day. Um, a tradition, for example, from our sixth Imam salam says, "Maktahalat Hashimiyatun walaqtasabat wala ru'iya fi dari Hashimiyin dukhanun khamsa hijajin hatta qutila Ubaidullah bin Ziyad." He says that in the house of the Hashimiya. That no Hashimi woman, yani from the Banu Hashim, put on kohol, yeah? mascara basically. Um, nor did they dye their hair, nor did they have oud in the house for five hijaj, five years, until the death of Ubaidullah bin Ziyad happened and we were informed of it. Yeah? So it was a time that for five years there was sadness, there was grief, they did not celebrate. But until the khabar reached them that those who are the oppressors and the tyrants behind um, the tragedy of Karbala reached them, it is this time that they finally began to, I guess you could say, um, smile. Ahsan, that's a very beautiful way of putting it, right? Um, and so they smile, and so we smile, right? And this is something that is very natural um, as being the Shia, as we have described. So this is, a, this is one reason... Um, and again, there is no 
there is nothing to say that this isn't the reason, right? Uh, but the most likely reason, and again, until very recently, scholars didn't even believe that this was a reason, um, is that it marks the era of our Imam, right? His father, um, Shahadat, we, we commemorated last night. Um, and it marks an era in which we now are under the imamate of our living imam. Um, and this is something that um, we are proud of, right? We are proud of that this is now that period, that final period. Um, the awaited one is here and the awaited one will carry out the affairs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as long as we lay the groundwork correctly. Um, and so it's a day in which we are marking as a rejuvenation um, or um, a bay'ah, basically. We are giving our allegiance to our imam on this day. And this is why this day is important for us as well, right? Now, naturally, like people will always say that why would you celebrate a day after the death of his father? Well, you know, if we were alive at that time, even though his father was killed, we would go and give our allegiance to the imam of our time to say that we now take you as our imam. We would, you know. And so really this day is a day of bay'ah, right? It's a day of allegiance that we give to our imam. And I'm hoping as an exercise that all of us will take this opportunity, uh, whether it is um, in our private munajat with the imam or any time today, tonight and tomorrow, to really firm up your allegiance with the imam of the time, you know. Um, and I think that if you were to be able to connect it with Karbala and say, look, this is what I learned from your grandfather, Abba Abdullah, and this is how I'm going to apply it into my life preparing for you, I think that bay'ah goes a very long way, and I'm hoping, inshallah, that all of us will be able to make this connection as a homework assignment. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. As far as why it's called Eid al-Zahra, you know, the first 15 minutes of this lecture should just be repeated every year, you know. Um, because honestly, I do this every year, but it's necessary, you know. Um, even Allah says, فَذَكِّرْ in Nafa'atith Dhikr. Remind, for there is benefit in reminding. Um, it's called Eid al-Zahra, and again, there's no concrete reasons why it's called Eid al-Zahra, but I feel that the only reason why we call it Eid al-Zahra, um, is to show the status of Zahra, you know. Um, she is that, that center block for the Ahlul Bayt, and that when she is happy, um, we are told, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْذَبُ لِغَذَبِ فَاطِمَةً وَيَرْضَى لِرِضَاهَا That the Prophet said that Allah is angered when Fatima is angry and Allah is pleased when Fatima is pleased. Yeah. That's a remarkable position, eh? Think about that. Let that marinate for a second. You guys look cold from the snow outside. Let that marinate for a second, right? That Allah... ala Muhammad wa Muhammad. Ali Muhammad, recite a loud salawat, please. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Right? That Allah is pleased when she is pleased. It's not that Fatima is pleased when God is pleased. It's flipped here. And that just shows us the amazing status that Sayyidina has. And therefore this day of celebration or this day of, of bay'ah is attributed to her. 
I always concentrate in my lectures on this second reason, you know, that the reason about us preparing for our Imam salam because it is more practical and it is something that applies to our day-to-day -day lives. Um, so one of the, the realities that, that I experienced this Muharram, it was a very public reality, um, <laughs> but one of the things I realized, you know, is that living in this period of ghaybah is not easy. It's become very much clearer to me now, more so than ever, where we see so many or so much difficulty and so much trials around us. I mean, you look at it, for example, from, from just the, the world perspective, but you see what's happening like in Yemen, for example. Man, it breaks the heart. Doesn't it break your heart? It just breaks the heart, man. It's uh, like, what can we do, right? Like, we can donate, and we can pray, and really, that's, those are some, and we can write to our MPs, right? We can ask Trudeau to quit funding Saudi Arabia. But, you know, money talks, right? And so they're going to keep funding Saudi Arabia, and then they're going to tell Saudi Arabia to stop killing Khashoggi, you know? Um, but they don't care about what's happening in Yemen at the same time. And you look at this hypocrisy, and you look at what's happening in our world, and I don't know, it feels, it feels like we're in a bad place right now, is what I'm trying to say, you know? And Yemen's not the only example, but Yemen's probably the worst example. But you look at what's happening till today to the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar, um, and, the, and the condition that they are in, um, to be stateless like that. You know, in one, in one area you have one who have a state, but they're just simply being bombarded upon. Other people who've lost their homes altogether. And then you have the Palestinians. Um, and then you have what's happening in Nigeria. right? And then you see what's happening in Pakistan, and in Afghanistan, and in Syria, and in Iraq. We can, I'm probably missing out countries, but you can just go through Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, and the Shias in Saudi Arabia. Um, Kashmir, we can go through, man, we can name all the countries in the world. And not just that, right? You look at what's happening in our own countries. Like what's happening to the indigenous people in our own countries, right? Um, you see what's happening to down south in America. Um, we're honestly like it's scary to, to be a person of color in America, you know? It would be scary to be black in America, I'm telling you. Yeah, it would be. Um, and then you see the, what's happening with, uh, what is that? The caravans. And we can go on. My point is that, you know, when we look at these things, the rise of poverty, the rise of disease, um, corruption, racism, xenophobia, like, it's almost depressing to be on social media now, you know? Um, where all you see is this negativity bombarding, bombarding, bombarding. Um, and, it feel, and it fills me, and I'm sure it fills you with anxiety and horror, you know? Um, to the extent where it feels like we're drowning. Does it feel like we're drowning, like it's up to here, you know? Um, but this is part of the trials of ghaybah, you know what I mean? Um,
And that's from the world stage. And then you look at our own madhab, for example. Right? Like we're at a state like this Muharram really like scared me a bit, you know? Um, where on one hand, you know, we have, for example, a rise in liberalism, you know, within our communities, within our madhab. Um, where you have learned people preaching that there needs to be more fluidity within our religion. Um, where the fiqh is not supposed to be final. The fiqh is supposed to be fluid. But these are thoughts that, you know, um, I don't know. Like I said, I'm leaving the fun part for the poets. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, if you think about that, right, it means that 1,200 years of Marjayid didn't know what they were talking about. That they were just stuck in, in, in a backwards way where, this, where these now new scholars have figured out like the new light. And so they're going to take us down this light. And so they argue for this, this rejuvenation of religion. And I, you know, I heard a scholar, and he is a scholar, he's smart, he's educated, you know. And he argued for the fluidity of religion using the Qur'an. You know, and how did he say? He said that when Allah said, Al-Yawma akmaltu lakum dinakum, that today I have perfected your religion, he said he was talking about that day. Yeah? That's what his argument was. He said that for that day, the job of the Prophet was to raise the hand of Ali. He raised the hand of Ali, so God said, Today I have perfected your religion. Tomorrow I will re-perfect it. Subhanallah. Yeah? Honestly, like you look at that and you're like, serious? You're telling me 1400 years of scholars missed that? And you got it. And people just ate it up, right? Like, like here, like, subhanallah. Subhanallah, Mawlana. You know? <laughs> and you look at that and you're like, wow. Wow. Right? And so you see this rise of liberalism on one hand. And then you see the rise of, quote unquote, culturalism where my cultural practices have become like amalgamated, mixed in with deen now. Right? Where the only way deen is correctly practiced if it's practiced the way my culture practices it. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Somebody, I had someone tell me this Muharram. Yeah? We were talking about Azadari, you know? And he said that only we from the subcontinent practice azadari correct. No one else practices it correct. And I said, subhanallah. Really, that was my response. I was like, serious? Serious, bro? Yeah? That's what I said to him. But that was the mentality. I'm not saying it exists everywhere. I'm not saying everybody thinks like that. But man, if you tell someone, bro, how about we do something differently? Like, how dare you? You're anti-azadari. Yeah? Anti-azadari. It's become a thing now to be anti-Azadari, right? But that's where we've gotten to, where it is now this strong bout of culturalism that is really strong within our religion. And I'm saying what I'm saying, yeah? Clips may be made, yeah? It's okay, right? Um, but it is what it is, right? Um, and then we see a strong rise in, in stubbornism. All these isms are coming out. Right? Um, 
and we see a, a rise in literalism, right? Um, yeah, name calling is part of the stubbornism, you know? Um, but you know, like the opposite of liberalism, I looked this up, right? Like we, we say, what is opposite of liberalism? Opposite of liberalism is not conservatism, right? Um, liberal and conservative are not opposite of each other. Um, because if we're practicing Sirat al-Mustaqim, the liberals will call us conservative. But we're not opposite to them. We're on the right. We're in the middle, right? So if this is the middle and this is liberalism, there has to be something on this side, not the opposite, you know, not the middle. And so when you study this, they say the opposite of liberalism is literalism, not conservatism, literalists. And we have that too within our madhab. Yeah, we have that, right? Where you have to follow this particular path. And this is exactly how you have to do it. And there is no fluidity as far as practicality. That yes, okay, this is the examples that we have to live by. But practically, day to day, man, how do I do that? And that's what makes our maraja so great, right? Our maraja have to, in that mix of liberalism and culturalism and stubbornism and literalism, you find that they give you this piece of advice and this guidance that allows you to walk sirat al-mustaqim. We need our maraja for this reason. Yeah? We can never abandon our marja'iyah. The concept of marja'iyah is a rock for us in Islam. Right? And this is something that um, we have to think about. Now, this is not even what I wanted to talk about today. Um, can, can I tell you what's amazing? What's amazing is that if you take the liberals... And I'm calling them liberals. I'm not using it as a dirty word the way Trump does. Okay? Um, if you just take the idea of that Islam needs to be liberated and more free, and you take the culturalists, um, and you take the literalists, and you see that they all have some stubbornness within them, and I'm sure even we in the middle path have some stubbornness within us as well, the amazing thing is, is that they all think they are right. Yeah? Not just do they think that they are right, they know that they are right. And so you say which... Now if you have like somebody just coming up, and then you see that, oh, there are these Muslims who say this, these Shia. So let's say you have a Shia child today, right? Um, and we have a lot of these, a lot of these. So they're in their teens now. And so they come to mosque and they see a corner of liberalists. And then have a corner of literalists. And they have a corner of culturalists. And they're like, man, I don't want this religion. Right? Because they're all arguing that is correct. And they're all fighting with each other that is correct. And this is where we have internet warriors come about. Right? Who will be on Facebook till God knows how long. Right? Writing messages, writing messages, writing. You find, like, you know, you go on these groups. Right? And you look at these groups, and you're like, man, how do these people have time? Don't they have jobs? You write a reply, boom, a reply will come. And you're like, man, don't text and drive. right? Because how do you have time all the time to do these things? But that's what's amazing to me. And this is, my brothers and sisters, the most dangerous part of us being in ghaibah today. Is that is that right has been completely twisted. 
No one even knows who Wright is anymore. No one even knows who Wright is anymore. Right? Um, and the younger generation are just full-on confused. I'm telling you, full-on confused. Right? Um, I talk to them in madrasa. Talk to them in madrasa. Right? Um, I talk to them when I go and I travel, alhamdulillah, around the world. I talk to them at our mosque. I talk to them at the different mosques. They are full-on confused. Full-on confused and full-on just um, disappointed. Disappointed that their elders have brought them to this, to this mixed-up place right now. You know? And this is, you know, predicted, predicted. Where our sixth Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam Allahumma salli ala Muhammad He says that the, certainly the rightful owner of this rule and he's talking about the twelfth Imam He says certainly the rightful owner of this rule will have a ghaybah Such that one who adheres to his religion during that time will be like the one who clutches onto a thorn bush with his hands, the Imam says. Yeah? It was predicted by the Imam that we will get to the stage in the period of ghaybah where right and wrong, you can't even tell the difference anymore, man. Who's right? Honestly, who is right? Who is right? Right? If you begin a discussion, I believe I am right. I, know, I feel I am right. But when I talk to the liberalists, they'll say that they're right. And when I talk to the culturalists, they'll say that they're absolutely right. And then we'll talk to the literalists, and they'll tell us that all of us are wrong, only they are right. And everybody is like this. Everybody is like this. And this is where, you know, we, we come to, uh, and I'm really happy that this subject is ending today, that what we need more than ever is patience. Yeah? By God, we need patience. Patience to be able to, to not react impulsively. Patience to not react emotionally. Patience to, to gather the material, talk to the right scholars, get the guidance, not just go on Facebook, see what someone else is saying, oh, I agree with you, Yar. And I go, oh, I agree with you too. You're like, who are you agreeing with? Right? Like, seriously, I'm confused. Right? But you come to scholars. You don't like what I have to say? Go ask somebody else who's a scholar. Go ask another scholar, right? Um, there's problems in that too, but I can't talk about all that. Um, but we need patience more than anything else, right? And this is what we've spent five weeks talking about patience. We've talked about sabr. And today I just want to end this discussion um, that that we need to learn how to be patient, my brothers and sisters, right? Because patience is, remember, patience is not, we defined patience as what? We defined this in the first two lectures, that patience is an internal characteristic um, that brings up, that, that is governed by itme'anan, conviction, satisfaction. That means satisfaction in knowing God is in control. And so I have this internal state of calmness that allows me to see the entire picture. And when I see the entire picture, I will then know whether I should act or not act. That is sabr. Sabr is not not to act, or sabr is not to act at certain times. No, sabr is to see the whole picture, and then find my internal compass, and then act the way I'm supposed to 
act. And this is what sabr is. And we have to learn how to do it. So over the past five lectures, and I don't want to repeat anything, we've talked about what is patience and what it means to be patient. How is patience seen? We've talked about the areas that we're expected to be patient in. Um, and then we talked about anxiety. We spent two, letter, two lectures talking about anxiety because anxiety um, is the main problem of why we can't be patient. Anxiety causes me to act impatiently. Now, again, we're not talking about anxiety disorders. We're talking about run-of-the-mill anxiety, right? And again, if you've listened to the last five lectures, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't, um, then don't make any judgments. Go listen to it because it's important you understand what we mean when we say anxiety here, okay? So tonight I want to finish this up and I'm going to do it quickly um, so that we can have fun finally, inshallah. Yeah? Um, that how do we strengthen our patience? Okay? How do we strengthen our patience? So the first step is that I have to learn how to deal with my anxiety. Right? And we spent a whole lecture last yesterday, was it yesterday, yesterday, talking about how to deal with anxiety. So go and study that. So number one, I got to learn how to deal with anxiety. Number two, um, I have to increase my iman. Okay, um, we said that when one suffers or when one has bouts of anxiety, um, again, not anxiety disorders. Yeah, I got to repeat this because I don't want people confused. But just general anxiety. Will I pass the exam? Uh, will I get the job? How will I pay this bill? This is normal anxiety that human beings suffer, right? Those are examples of me, of my connection to God being not strong enough, right? Because God says, trust me, I'll take care of it. God says, I'll look after you. God says, I'll take care of risk. I'll take care of this. Um, your happiness should lie with me. And God has told us all of these very beautiful things. But practically to do it, it's not easy, right? And the reason I'm not good at doing it is because I haven't fully believed what God has to say. If I truly believed what God has to say, I would do it, no problem. No problem, right? Um, it wouldn't be easy. Through practice, I would be able to master it. But I would at least be able to do it more often than not. You understand? Um, so I have to strengthen my iman, and that's of course is what God always tells us to do. Ya ayyuhaladina amanus biru wasabiru warabitu wattaqullah. That all you who believe, have faith and be steadfast in your patience. All you who believe, increase your iman, God says. Ya ayyuhaladina amanu aminu billahi wa rasuli. So the address is always to believers, but He's always telling believers to be better. Because being a believer is just the start, right? It's not the end. That's the way we mess up sometimes, you know? We think that, oh, mashallah, punch gaya. Right? And you're like, no, Baba, you're at the start now. You're not at the end, right? You're starting. You're starting. Go, go. But we're just there, you know, impressed with our car. Um, so we have to increase our iman. Um, and how do we do that? I mean, then we can spend 10 lectures on talking about that, right? Uh, but it's, it's really not about... Like, um, like, I don't know. It's not just about fasting and praying. It's not about that. It's more of a practical connection to God. Um, I got to feel God. I have to learn to feel God. I have to feel the presence of God. Um, I got to notice God around me. 
right? Um, and we can do that. We can do that, honestly. Um, if I have to remind myself, we've talked about this a lot, setting alarms, setting post-its, setting this and that, just to say, hey, think about God right now. Think about God right now. Think about God right now. And all you got to do is just say, oh, God, I'm thinking about you. That's it, man. You don't got to spend hours in meditation. But if we did not, or if we were not asked to pray five times a day, we would not even think about God once during the day. Honestly, right? So we got to find times to think about God more often. Um, and I think just doing that, just saying thank you to God more often increases iman. Right away, it begins to increase one's iman. So we have to develop our stronger iman. That's number one. Okay? And inshallah, maybe um, um, we have a few months now where it's, it's pretty, I don't want to say slow, but um, it's not as hectic as it is now. Maybe we'll talk about that as a subject, how to increase Iman, because I think that's a really important subject for us to understand. So number one is we got to find ways to practically increase Iman. Number two is I got to keep reminding myself that nothing in life comes easy. Okay? Nothing in life comes easy. The reason why I'm not able to be patient is because I live in a time of instant gratification. Um, and when I get things instantly done for me, I feel that everything should be that easy. You understand? So if I can get Amazon delivered to my house the next day, wow, yeah? Like, kun fayakun, like I feel strong, you know what I mean? Like I feel strong. And then there's Amazon, what is that? There's Prime and there's Prime Plus. Huh? Same day shipping, right? Two hours, right? You guarantee this guy comes in two hours. Man, that, that brings about a sense of confidence in you. You know what I mean? Like, wow, I feel good. Um, and so when I can get these things, I feel like everything should happen like that. I send you a message, I want to reply back now. You're like, Baba, I'm not here at your beck and call. Right? Molana, I email What am I saying? Doing nothing? Right? Like I'm sitting at home playing marbles, like, oh, you need an istikhara? Okay, I got nothing else to do but do that, right? But this is the way we think. We think like that because all our life, everything is just given to us, given to us quickly, quickly, quickly. Um, and what we got to realize is that nothing happens that, that quickly. Nothing happens easily. So the, the fact that I can get Amazon delivered next day, right? Or even same day, there's probably 20 guys in the warehouse sweating, not getting breaks, not getting anything. We know the history of Amazon. You go read what Amazon does. There's 20 guys back there working so hard, packaging, not taking breaks, afraid that they're going to get fired for me to get my package. So I'm just looking at the end result be like, man, this is great. But there was a whole bunch of things happening in the back end that... I don't see that it wasn't easy for me to get this end result. You know what I mean? I, I microwave my dinner and I say, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, it's so easy. My wife spent an hour and a half cooking that dinner. I just microwaved it. I just saw the end result of it. Alhamdulillah, so easy. Right? And then I tell her, you can do this again tomorrow. <laughs> you know, like we don't realize that, man, this is, she put in a lot of work. She went to work, came back, worked and did this. But all I saw was the end result. So you understand what I'm saying? Nothing in life comes easy, man. Nothing does. Okay? 
Um, and so I have to learn to be patient. And this is where you have to constantly remind yourself of this. Remind yourself that I need to be patient. Nothing happens easily. I got to work at it. Reminders are so key for us, right? So important for us. That constantly reminding. Ask God to help you remind you. He will. He will. You know? Um, I got to remember that my child is a child. I don't need to yell at her all the time. Or yell at him all the time. I don't have to expect perfection from my child all the time. It's a child, you know. Um, and so we have to remind ourselves of these things. Um, and inshallah, when we do, then patience will become something that is reminded to me. It's not necessarily going to come. I can remind myself it's not going to happen. Then I got to act it out, right? And that comes to the third and the final thing, is that I have to actively practice patience. Actively. That means I, one of my favorite statements of all time is I have to fake it till I make it. Right? That I don't want to be patient with you. I really don't. But I got to fake it because that's what God wants. I'll be like, yes, yes. You know, I'll smile at you, right? And I'll say, okay, yes, yes. But this is what God wants from me. And so I got to do it. I got to fake it. I can't show my impatience, I can't show my hastiness. Um, these are three simple things, but if you add it to what we talked about anxiety and how to control anxiety, I think we'll be able to see um, a tremendous difference in our lives. You know, there's a hadith um, that says, Man yatasabbar yusabbiruhu Allah. That one who pretends or tries to be patient, Allah makes them patient. Yeah? You gotta fake it till you make it. I'm telling you, you gotta remember that in life. Okay? Um, I'm not going to be patient. I'm not going to be patient the first time I'm patient. I'm not going to be patient the second time I'm patient. Um, but eventually I'll be patient. right? Just you're not going to be swole going to the gym once or twice. You've got to go for months before you can be cut. You've got to do the same thing with patience. You've got to do it for a long period of time. What I want to end with is this, right? Is that um, what we understand about patience, this is the beauty of it, right? Is that um, our, uh, what the Quran tells us is that the more you become patient, the more God will reveal to you. Yeah? The more He will reveal to you. Um, and the more secrets will be given to you. The more closeness of God will be given to you. The more understanding will be given. Um, my kids are sick. I need to be patient. A deeper understanding and appreciation will be given to me. Um, I don't want to give examples, but you understand what I'm saying? And how do we know that, right? Our ulama tell us, you know this from the story of Musa and Prophet Khidr, right? Where, you know, like Musa alayhi salam, who's from the Ulul Azam, right? From the greatest prophets of God meets um, a scholar who'd been given, uh, who'd been taught by God, Min ladunhu, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him. Um, and he says, I want to join you. Can I come with you? We know the story. I think Mulan Rizvi did a whole series on this story, right? Um, but what does Khidr say? Khidr says, Qala innaka lan maya. He said, You'll not be able to be patient with me. He's like, Just forget it. You're not going to be able to do it, right? Um, and Musa says, that, How do you know? You haven't even seen me in action. And of course I'll be patient, you know, of course. Um, and then, 
something happened, Musa couldn't deal with it. But in the end, our ulama tell us, look at, look at what happened. That Musa only lasted three revelations. Right? That, that if Musa's patience was longer, that Khidr would have revealed thousands of secrets to Musa yeah? But Musa only lasted three. He says, you be patient, and God will reveal to you, and reveal to you, and reveal to you. So my brothers and sisters, this is an important lesson for us. Yeah? Um, it ties in perfectly with our current state in Ghaibah right now. We need patience, man. We need it badly, we need it desperately. Um, and we need it especially in preparation for our Imam, because I tell you, from all that I've talked about today, with the world problems and our madhab problems, I swear to you on my life, that the only solution that we have to these problems is our 12th Imam. That's it. Yeah, that's it. We can just plug holes. You and I will plug holes till we die and our children will plug holes till they die. But the only one who can fix us and guide the ship is our Imam. And we need to all pray for this and work towards it, inshaAllah. Wa akhiru da'wan. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to hasten the return of our living Imam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive the sins of our parents and loved ones. We ask Allah for those going through difficulty that He end their difficulty. For those that have asked us to pray for them, Ya Allah, accept their hajat. Rabbana taqabbal minna inna kanta samiul alim. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. رحم الله من كرأ سورة المباركة الفاتحة تسبقها الصلاة على محمد وآل محمد.